Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston. I am the founder and CEO of Employers for Change. And today's tip of the week is about unconscious bias and how that influences our hiring decisions and our company culture. For example, blind hiring increases the likelihood that women will be hired by 25 to 46 percent. White sounding names on resumes get 50% more callbacks for interviews than black sounding names. 48% of HR managers admit bias affects their candidate choice. Women applicants are 30% less likely to receive a callback for an interview. These are interesting statistics that are brought to us by Scriver. Welcome to the Interim Whisperer. Our show is all about the future of work and innovation. Today's guest is Laura Dowd with Orange County Public Schools, who oversees a social media marketing internship program with high school students. They're learning how to earn work skills before college. You know, Laura, I used to work as a high school teacher, middle and high school teacher, and they used to have a program, I think it was DECA. Yes. Is that the same kind of program? Yes, I have DECA. You have I DECA. DECA at Dr. Phillips. Okay, so our listeners may not know what DECA is, and but you know we'll jump into those five words. But go ahead and talk a little bit about you know what DECA is. So DECA is an association of marketing students. It is a global organization. We have chapters all around the world, and the students compete in marketing-related projects, business plans, advertising campaigns. They also do community service, but anything and everything that's out there in the real world, there's a case study for it, there's a test for it, there's a project that they can do for it. Oh, when we get finished with the show, I'm going to ask you how I can participate. I would love to support DECA, obviously. I did not know it was a global organization. That's super cool. Do they focus on things other than marketing? Finance, hospitality, creative marketing. They do community service. They work with different charities. With the competitions, we always have our state competition here in Orlando, and we always need judges. Oh, I'd like that. And I want team employers for change students to win first place. So I'm going to need some inside because I want these kids to be able to go up there. And for you, I want you to be able to say, yeah, I had the winning teams from this school. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's make that magic happen. Okay. We will. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. So I always kick off my show with tell us five words that describe you and why those five words. Okay. So dedicated. Mm -hmm. Everything that I am asked to do, I dedicate 110% determined to get it done, mm -hmm. determined to do what needs to be done when people ask. I know you slipped the second word right in there, determined and dedicated. And that's pretty good because there, you know, alliteration is going on there. I like that a lot. But the other thing about determined, I think every teacher is, and I think every teacher is dedicated and they are determined because they don't want to see, as the tagline says, no child left behind, right? Right. Right. No child left behind, providing them with the skills that they need to be successful. Yeah. It's so good. You mentioned independent. Very independent. How so? Example. Very independent. I, I take things on myself and, and try and get them done myself. Very rarely ask for help. That's where the determination comes in. Um, the dedication comes into that as well. I want to make my own successes, not rely on anybody else to get there. Yeah. I gotcha. Observant. I observe. I'm very quiet. I enjoy sitting in the corner of the room watching what's going on around and drawing conclusions and then going and meeting and talking, mm -hmm. seeing if those conclusions were right. But yeah. Observe, uh, observing what's going on. Yeah. And resilient. Just have to keep going. Yeah. Um, we can't have anything stop us, right? Right. Whatever life has handed me, I've just overcome and just keep coming back. Yeah. Well, those are good skills to pass on to students for sure. And you and I both know, having been in education for a while, that the thing that students do is they watch everything we do. They do. And they form opinions quickly, 
just like a baby does. They that baby will know, oh, I can I can flip this person and have them do whatever I want. <laughs> Many animals are very good at astute at doing that also. But I feel like a lot of times people dismiss a middle and a high school student because they think, oh, they're not paying attention. They absolutely do. Oh, they they appear that they're not listening. To yeah, indifferent. Yeah. Yeah. And that includes your own kids. And I have to go and remind that to parents. I'm sure you do too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And listen, they're, they hear you loud and clear. <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. That's something that is always valuable. So let's talk about your educational background. How did you get started into teaching? What was it that made you say, oh, teaching, that's my jam? Uh, teaching was not my jam. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not my jam. <clears throat> When I was in college, I first started out as a computer engineer major mm -hmm. and then decided, this is back in 92, decided that writing code and it, it just wasn't what I wanted to do mm -hmm. the rest of my life. So I started looking at different avenues and fell in love with marketing. So I actually have a degree in business administration with an emphasis on marketing came out from college after double and dabbling in real estate and timeshare and benefit programs, packages, any, any job that I could possibly get that had any marketing focus, I tried to do before I graduated, came back to Orlando. There was, I love writing, mm -hmm. I took a couple of professional and technical writing courses. Orange County public schools had a job opening for a grant writer. So I applied for it. Nothing came of it, but they contacted me and said, hey, you have a business degree. We need business teachers. Are you interested? And I thought, you know, it, it, it's step up and pay and it has full benefits. And then mm -hmm. my summer's off. I was like, woohoo, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Just for a couple of years to settle in and really figure out what I wanted to do. And 25 years later, we're still in the classroom. Yeah. It's very rewarding, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that you are the same. I think just about all teachers are. It's like when you have those kids with you, I mean, you bond with them right away. It's literally like having your own kids, but you didn't go through the labor of 200, right? <laughs> well, I have to differentiate because I call them my kids, my children. Yeah. So if I'm talking about my own children, I call them my bio kids. And <laughs> the kids at school are just kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the kids, when I was teaching in the projects had said, oh, you don't like me. And I said, why do you think that? And they said, well, because you're angry with me. And they associate that you don't like them if you're angry with them. And I said, hmm. So let me give you this. And I'm pretty sure you, you've done all of these things, different words, because, you know, we've had these conversations offline too. I said, so if you break your grandmother's favorite dish, does your grandmother stop loving you? And they said, no. I said, if you did that with your mom and, you know, you, you made her angry, does she stop loving you? And they said, no. And these are project kids though, too. So they have rough lives. And they said, okay, I can be angry, but it doesn't mean I don't like you. I'm just angry. And those are two separate emotions. So you don't have to roll it into one. And they they got it. It's like the light bulb went on. Mm -hmm. They were 12 year olds. Well, they ask, why are you mad at me? I'm not mad at you. I'm disappointed in you because yeah. you're not rising to your true potential. Mm -hmm. And and that's, that's what upsets me the most with students sometimes is you're just, you're not giving yourself a shot. Yeah. There's so many different ways that you can be exactly what you want to be. You just got to take that chance and live up to that potential. Yeah. Yeah. Do you also remind them it's a lot like being in athletics because they have to see the prize like an Olympian and go go for the prize? Well, a lot of my students, I, I do a sports recreation and entertainment marketing program. Mm -hmm. So my students see sports. So a lot of the students are placed in the class because they chose it thinking that it was a sports class. Yeah. So they already have that athletic background because they are athletes. So when I talk about what do you want to do for the rest of your life, where do you see yourself? Mm -hmm. You know, what is that, that winning that you want to, to do and have happened to you? And we do talk and 
kind of put it into that athletic perspective, but the majority of the time I'm trying to explain to my athletes, you need to have something in addition right. to that sport because that sport may not always be there for you. Yeah. So that's our biggest conversation. Yeah. And there's injuries, there's, you know, you're getting older, you age out of it. So what is the next career path? You can't be the co color commentary forever. Right. So you got to have some I think that's wise. I do the same thing. I was an English major. I always would tell people, listen, liberal arts, make sure that you take the basic business classes, all the one-on-ones that you can, because those should be your electives. Right. You're going to be doing something on the side. You're going to have to. So wise wisdom. Oh, you're kicking it off really strong with all of these good wisdom. So have you, have you ever worked outside like done a, your own side business because no teacher I know ever makes very much money they always have a side business I have not done wow a side business per se at, at one time the family had a business but it wasn't anything that was truly profitable to keep mm -hmm. so no I, I've typically focused on education, education. Mm -hmm. and so you have your bio kids and do you have them also? Are they at your same school? Oh, no. No. Yeah. My daughter is at a charter school. Okay. And my son is at UCF. So what do you think the advantages are for our people, listeners that are considering charter school? What is the difference between a charter school and also regular public education? The charter school is technically under public education that my daughter is in. So they do receive a portion of the funding to fund the school. We kept our children in the charter school simply because it was what we perceived to be a better education and a better environment mm -hmm. than what the public school would be able to offer in the area that we were living in. The charter school was developed when my son, it opened its doors when my son was in first grade. So we said, well, let's, let's just try and take a chance, see what, what they have to offer. They introduced him to medical through the STEM program. So he is now on a career path with kinesiology. Wow. So it, it just provided him the small pond for him to be the big fish that he needed. Mm -hmm. he needed to yeah, the classroom size is smaller. It's more intimate. You know, in many ways, the kids, you know, don't have to... I know they wear uniforms and that's, I think is also part of like, it, it feels more elite many ways for the kids. So I think those are all good things. They hate the uniforms. I know, but like whoever likes uniforms, none of them do, but yeah, but, consistency. Uh, right. So I think that Xander has friends that he will, he will have for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. He went all the way through school, the legacy of starting and finishing up the school the athletic programs that they were able to participate in that maybe they might not have been able to participate in a larger school provided great structure for them. So it it was just better for my my children. Now I did give each of them a chance and yeah. an opportunity to come with me to my high school, but they chose to stay there mm -hmm. with their friends, which that's good. Great. Yeah. That's a really hard age to move kids around is like Middle and high school, you know, their their peer group is so important, so important. And that's when that separation begins to happen so that, you know, they they aren't always around their parent. You know, they live with you and all of that. They don't want to go to school with you. I read an interesting statistic that said that parents needed to have a wake up call. And it said that your kids are with you for 20 percent of their life. That's it essentially 18 years, right? So it's like 18% of their years, but we'll say 20 because they're still somewhat connected because of some type of a career path program. So when we think about that, wow, 20%, that's a lot of time that you really don't have them in your life. Right. But I think that should be part of like a parent 101 book. Like they're only with you 20% of your life. So make it count for something. Right. And those 18 years, you have to provide them with enough structure and guidance so that they will be able to make the right decisions later. Mm -hmm. Confidence. You have to do that in the classroom too. Yeah. You may have the kid for a semester 
a year. And one hour. One hour a day. No, it's actually 40 minutes a day. Yeah. But you have to educate them and guide them and mold them and strengthen them into the young adult that they are becoming. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a lot. It's so much to remember. What is one of your best or, or your most favorite impact stories that you might have as a teacher? I didn't prep you for this one, but I'm pretty sure every teacher always has those. You know, I had one where I had a high school kid with me and I'll use it as an example. You're pretty quick though, but this kid was an international and he was in the basic classes. He asked me if he could move up. He really, his family, they all wanted him to be in like honors level. And I said, Mm, tell you what, let's just make sure that, you know, you're on track. Spend one quarter with me, just one quarter, and make sure that you're making A's. If you're making all A's, I'll go ahead and sign off and so you can move up to the next ability level. So you'll have three quarters, you know, with that. They did that. And then they moved up from standard. They did it again because they knew how to manipulate the system, so to speak. And they moved up into honors. And it was so rewarding because I go, you know, we always go to graduation, right? That kid came and found me at graduation and said, because you let me do this, I'm the first family member from our, my, my family that's graduating in the United States and going to college and also from an honors program. So that was like my, my little happy story. I'm sure you have one even better. So I, I wouldn't say I have one better. I just, I have a lot. Yeah. So feel free. Years, I think the one of the biggest impacts has been, I call her my daughter. She's mm -hmm. not my daughter, mm -hmm. but she came to me and she was working on a DECA project with a, with a partner and it was falling through pretty mm -hmm. bad. So we switched some things around. And by the time she graduated, her each year, her goal of success got higher and higher and higher. Mm -hmm. So having her as a youngster and watching her grow all the way through and then going to her wedding and still having that connection with her and seeing what she's doing every single day of her life. I, I think that's what the impact is for me. It's not necessarily a first place, second place win. It's can I see how I helped mold this individual into who they became today? And are they in a better place mm -hmm. than what they were when I started? So a couple of stories, but I keep them close to my heart. Yeah. And just trying to do that every single day and, mm -hmm. and look for it. I, I think the the biggest impact with all of my students, I don't like the word I'm trying. I'm oh, I me neither. And this stems from which I'm sure that one of the who influenced you, my dad, bless his heart. He did a thing with a pencil and he would drop a pencil on the floor and he would tell us to try and pick it up. And of course we would always bend over, we'd pick up the pencil, we'd hand it back and we would throw it back down and he'd say, no, try and pick up the pencil. And we're like, what are you talking about? We'd pick up the pencil, we'd hand it back to him, we'd throw it down again and try and pick up the pencil. So again, we would pick up the pencil and hand it to him. He's like, you never tried. You did. You just did it. Just that is it. a great team building exercise. So I use that a lot with my students as well. I say it three, four thousand times in the school year. You know, you know, like my dad said, try and pick up the pencil. We know, we know, just do it. But I think that that gives them a little bit of motivation to understand you can do it. Mm -hmm. Just trying at something isn't going to get you anywhere. Mm -hmm. You have to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's what I was opening with. The Olympian, Olympians, they don't say, I think I can, or I believe I can. They say, I know I can, mm -hmm. right? There, there's no doubt. So you have to just 100%. Yeah, it's going to happen. I love that. I'm going to use that say, and I'm going to reference you every time I say, oh, try and pick this up. <laughs> so, said, try and pick it up. Yeah. I knew as soon as you said it, I went, oh, I know where this is going. It's kind of like, what is it? Yoda. There is no try. There is only do. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know if kids still, I guess they all like Star Wars. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Some of them. So 
how have you seen education change over the years? I'm kind of curious. I was going to save this for the later, but I'm curious, like 25 years, where it was and where it is now. That's a lot of technology changes for sure. It is. It is. 25 years ago, I mean, we did have computers in the classroom. Yeah. The first position I had was teaching them Microsoft Word, Excel, teaching them how to type, mm. teaching them how Keyboarding to skills. ASDF. But as we transitioned, you know, we went from paper tests, bubble sheets mm -hmm. to online tests and reading the questions and technology doesn't always help us during those testing situations. It's not always foolproof. But as far as the technology is concerned, I think it gives them a lot of easier ways to get things done. I, I don't know if they necessarily take too much advantage of those easier avenues, but it's definitely different in education because you have to be on point to see what they're, what they are using, what they aren't using. Plagiarism is a big thing with mm -hmm. technology being out there and being able to access the internet, typing in the question to get to the answer very quickly instead of actually reading the text or yeah. the progression of the classes online and we saw a lot of this when COVID hit and we were all homeschooled technically how we had to utilize those platforms to educate what was successful with that what wasn't successful with it the the student has changed dramatically in 25 years the parents have changed dramatically in 25 years administration it, it's different mm -hmm. it's different those of us have been in the profession for quite some time I think one of the main things that we say is, can we just teach? Mm -hmm. Can we just please teach? Let us just do our job. Mm -hmm. We know what we're doing. So not necessarily all negative, just, mm -hmm. you know, with the times that are changing with the technology available and, and everybody wants to measure mm -hmm. everything. Everything has to be measured. I am not a test teacher. Mm -hmm. I don't give exams. I want to know, can you apply right. what you have learned? Can you use this? Can you utilize this in the real world? But again, I teach marketing. So if it's happening out there, I need to make sure they know how to do it. They do write papers. I can I can read it, but it's how would you handle this? This is mm -hmm. your opinion. You can't do a copy-paste job. Mm -hmm. English teachers lots of copy paste jobs. They've actually, I've seen some of them. They're like, wow, this, I've read a paper. I'm like, this is amazing. I want this kid in my marketing class. I want, I want to work with them with DECA writing a paper. And they're like, yeah, no, this is chat. Mm -hmm. So education is, it's, it's ever changing. Right. We just have to remember we're there for one reason. And it's mm -hmm. not, it's not for measurability. It's not for administration. It's not for government. It, it's to educate a child and direct this child and get them prepared for their future. Right. So, yeah, I love the fact that you said it's all about the application. I think that people don't realize that there were so many courses. I grew up in Kansas, some of my life. And in the Midwest, we had courses that they don't have anymore, but maybe they still do because those are more rural areas. And it started off as home economics, and then it moved into a different name. It was more of, you know, being able to career path it into, I would call it hospitality and maybe culinary a little bit. So I, I saw those changes happening, but being able to to make your own clothes, like that's now in a maker space. And I go, yeah, people don't know how to do that. They don't know how to change the tires on the car. You know, they, they don't even, they just have somebody else shop for them and bring food. They don't even get to me. It's the experience of being able to go into a store and touch and feel and smell and all of those things. I love that Trader Joe's was very experiential when you used to be able to go in and taste food. Those were really smart marketing moves because the more of your senses that you're, you know, creating uh, sensory experiences for sure, but the more that the senses are being used, it makes it memorable and something that they're more likely to buy. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. When you, when you're able to utilize all of those senses, yeah, you create that connection mm-hmm. and then there's that feeling of want and then you yes. have to have, and then you buy. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. So the one more thing about DECA, I wanted to go back to that one. DECA has been around for a long time. I don't know if you know how many years, but I'm curious. Well, you've been around 25 years, so we'd say at least 25. I want to say 40s. Oh, wow. Even be before that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been around. Yeah, that's really refreshing to see that it's still there because it is providing hands-on experience and it is providing career pathing. So I love those things that are happening there. We're going to jump to a couple of some other questions. So these questions, I I love David Letterman's interview style. So a favorite quote that you live by? I don't necessarily live by a favorite quote. I live by affirmations. Ooh, I like that. So. I have I have four bracelets I wear every single day and inscribed on each one of the bracelets is a different affirmation or quote that somebody very close has said to me or like the one I have that says dad every time I would call him he would say hello number one because oh, you were the firstborn. Well, no, because I like to think that I was number one. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yes, it's, he said, and it's not just because you're the firstborn. Okay. So that's what he would say. He would always say, hello, number one. I've got a, a don't give up type affirmation. Mm-hmm. When my aunt went through cancer with all the chemo, she would, it's an affirmation about, you know, the storm is here, you know, the wind is going, it's not blowing the right way. What are you going to do? You're going to adjust mm-hmm. your sails. and 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 go with the flow but each one of them just little affirmations that I like that that are near and dear you don't know but now you just you just gave me something that I went you know what I can get behind that and then I have those little reminders I have things my mother had cancer also and she died of it but I have things that I wear like this sweater was my mom's so when I wear it I think of her and I have something that belonged to my youngest brother and when I use it I think of him and then my grandfather he would always say oh this is dandy and so I say that and I think of him so I it's the same principle and people go dandy what's that word yeah. i go so that was a word my grandfather used it means cool or whatever it might mean now but when i say that i think of my grandfather and so i think those little nuggets that you have that you're wearing as a bracelet obviously it's impacted your kids your bio kids I feel like that's part of the legacy that you're leaving them is that, and you know, it has to be ingrained in them. So it's experiential, but that is really nice. I I like that very, very much. Uh, Let's see. Hardest lesson that you learned that changed your life. The easiest way that I can put this is that no matter how much you plan, no matter how much you think that your life is going to end up as it's not necessarily going to be the case and you're going to have to overcome those obstacles and continue on. Mm -hmm. So just, just being able to overcome obstacles as delicately as you can Mm -hmm. and as positive as you can, because it's not the end. You you can plow through. Yeah. Kind of like Dory. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Like Dory. (laughs) Yeah. Just keep swimming. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing for me. I sit here and I go, okay. I read this too. This was another article I had read. Somebody had said, okay, ask yourself this question. Will it matter in five years? Will it matter in 10? If it doesn't matter in those spans of time, then it really doesn't matter. So I paraphrase that and I go, okay, is this the end of the world? <laughs> no. If it if it didn't happen the way that I was wanting, is it is it the end of the world? No. And then the other thing that I do is I go and I look outside and I look up at the sky at night and I go, okay. You know, and you can see some stars, right? You know, light pollution, what can I tell you? But when I see all of those stars, I just sit here and go, okay, really? I am nothing 
but I am also everything. I am just like those stars. So, okay. you know, we have the same, you and I, I think we're very, very similar. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't think I asked you when your birthday is, but I'm curious. When is your birthday? What month? August 22nd. Oh, it's going to be coming up. Mm -hmm. mm, okay. So happy birthday early. Okay. I'll say that. Yeah. What are you most grateful for? Just the experiences I've been able to have and the experiences I know are yet to come. I like that. <laughs> it sounds a little bit like a, it's a wonderful life. It's not always going to be a wonderful life. There's no. going to be obstacles and you're going to have to pivot, pivot, but just being able to, to have that opportunity. Don't you think that's what makes it a wonderful life though? It's like, we don't grow through all of the great things. We grow through the hard things. We do. Yeah. So like, we're foolish humans. <laughs> we only learn through, oh, it's got to be so incredibly hard. So you're going to keep dropping that pencil a few more times. <laughs> no, you got to pick it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, well, you'd have to pick it up, but yeah, you're dropping it because <laughs> like, okay, I guess I didn't learn that one yet. Who in your life has had the biggest impact in a positive way? We already know with my dad. Yeah, your dad. I would have to attribute a lot of my success to my grandmother. Mm -hmm. um, my grandmother lost her husband at a young age and had to raise two boys. So words of wisdom throughout my entire life of, you know, don't don't rely on anybody but yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, have the strength to always get back up and keep on going. It doesn't matter how many times you fall. And what matters is you get up every single time and you go on. Mm -hmm. So those words of wisdom throughout my life and looking back, you know, when you're young, you're just like, okay, yeah, whatever, Grams. But looking back now, you know, it, it really gave me the structure that I needed mm -hmm. to continue on. Yeah. And it's, we have to hear it many, many times, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that it really just like, 21 days changes a habit. It's like 21 times. Apparently that's how long it takes to have it sink into our little brains that are kind of mushy and get to the right place where it's being remembered and impactful. What do you want to be remembered for and why? Just making a difference, mm -hmm. making a difference in, in a, a child's life, you know, changing their path, getting them to the future that they wanted that they desire, providing them with those skills. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Do you have a box? Because middle school and high school kids, they they don't often get outside of their own world. But I kept a box, a little box, like a lunchbox kind of a thing of every letter they ever wrote me. And I will pull those out still and I'll go, oh, yeah. I have them in a bin, a big pink bin. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you did it longer than me. I did 11 years, but you've done 25. I yeah. have a lot of them, but, you know, the ones that I do have, I have pictures of students. Yeah. I've got collages that were made. I have scrapbooks that the kids have made after the international trips. And every once in a while, <laughs> I'll pull that out and I'll start to laugh because some of them are made like, old school real picture yeah you know? <laughs> yeah yeah others are digital so yeah yeah I like the ones that you can touch and experience and think about for mm -hmm. sure well we're going to take a real quick break and acknowledge our sponsor Transcend Network and we're going to be right back Transcend Network helps early stage startup founders find product market fit through weekly experiments, receive fundraising support, and build a global founder investor network for edtech and the future of work technologies. The Intern Whisperer is affiliated with Employers for Change, and we thank Transcend Network for being a sponsor of our show. And we're back to the second half of our show, where we talk about the future of jobs and industries in 2030. So hard to believe. I mean, it still sounds far away, far away, right? But it's it's close. Oh, it's it's very close. Yeah, very close. Like we're halfway through the years, so we already know. You know, we're saying six and a half years. Count this year gone, and then 2030. 
it's here. So we're going to eliminate a year and a half right off the bat that way. So what do you think it's going to look like? I think that there, hmm. I don't know. I always like to say, maybe we'll see that car flying. Oh, <laughs> I think so. They already are actually, because I'm in that innovation space mm -hmm. and I have, I know they are because I go to all of these pitch competitions and I also see everybody else that's at the trade shows that we go to they are there it's just that they haven't made it you know mainstream so that we can buy it yet but they're there I know but I guess that's what I'm saying is Jetson's car at least seeing it happen yeah yeah seeing it as you're driving down the road I don't know I, as far as technology is concerned I mean it's changed so rapidly in just a couple of years it, it's hard for me to imagine where we can where we're going to be next Mm -hmm. um, with education, I know that they're going to utilize that computer a little bit more and the platforms that they're using to teach students that came from COVID and different tactics. Mm -hmm. I'm fearful that it's going to get too technological. We may lose personal mm -hmm. personalization and, and that being able to connect with people. Yeah. I think that's going to be part of what we see as the trends is that in education, it's going to be definitely more customized and personalized. Like you said, there will be more people that go back into school and they see it as facilitating knowledge, maybe not necessarily in the, the school systems that we currently have, but more charter schools, small things where people can pick up those skills that are hard tasks, but then being able to understand them through the cognitive skills, the power skills, if you will, how to apply them will happen. But I feel like there's going to be a lot more about this is how you interact with people, <laughs> the art of networking, the art of talking, because people are used to being behind the screen and turning a camera off. You can't do that in a meeting with humans. <laughs> you're still physically in the room and we can see you sitting there going, oh yeah, I'm on my phone or, mm -hmm. and I can see that when I'm even on a Zoom or a Skype call or anything, Google Meets, but there's going to have to be more awareness about how to interact and, oh yeah, it's good to touch. Did you know that humans need seven touches a day? No, I did not know that. Yeah. So that they feel, and this is going back, it's going way back for, for people to be believed they've been seen and they've been heard. And because we're human and we're made for relationship, we really do need to feel that human connection. We crave it as people. So to tell a teacher that, oh no, you can't hug a kid. No, you, we should, we need to, because they may not be getting that at home. We don't know what their home lives are like, mm -hmm. especially when you work with that risk. Right. But you also, you know, move that into the working world. You don't know what's going on. Everybody puts that their, their social life is so idyllic when it is not. And what they need is, do you need a hug? Is that what you want? Can I give you a hug? You know, yeah. Even if they're introverted, they still need to have that that touch. Mm -hmm. So it could be a hug. It could be shaking hands. It can be a fist bump. It can be any of those things. Somebody just tapping you on the shoulder. All of those are just a little connection that fires up the neurons in our head. And it goes, oh, yeah, this is, we're human. Yeah. So I feel like that's going to be part of what we as these facilitators of knowledge are doing is teaching people how to interact with each other. Right. And how to speak. <clears throat> yeah. And, and tone and what, mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. what that means. Excuse me. Yeah. I, I'm not too, I'm not a big fan of the whole technology. Here's your assignment. Here it is on a computer screen. Go do it. Mm -hmm. I, I need that interaction. So I think that that's going to, really need to be addressed and, and kept. But don't you think, Laura, the grid is going down one day, that grid is going down and people are going, they don't teach cursive writing. I'm sitting here going, okay, people are going to have to be able to go back to, yes, pen and paper, we're going to, or pencil and paper. We're going to have to be able to use things that are not electronic and be able to interact. Right, but- And read. <laughs> but the powers that be- you know, they make the decision yep. and the powers that be may not always know exactly what needs to be because they're not 
putting themselves in those situations. They aren't thinking what needs to be there. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the biggest struggles that educators have right now Mm -hmm. is we understand that this is what you want to see, but you have to understand that not every single person is the same. Everybody is an individual. Mm -hmm. They have their own thought processes. They may come to the same beliefs they may not. Mm-hmm. You have to be ready to to handle that. Mm-hmm. And you've got to develop each one of these students as an individual. Yep. And I don't believe that we can continue with technological-based curriculum that just pushes out an initiative to learn something because they may learn it, but they have not learned how to become responsible with responsible it. With it. They have not learned how to be an individual, how to communicate, how to be an active part of society. I agree. Teaching them to look at a screen all day long, not to talk, not to interact. Mm -hmm. It's not good. No, it's not. So what are your thoughts about COVID and how we had to switch from being on the ground to going remote? And now it's more of a... I guess I'll call it a hybrid. I don't know. I think that kids really do need to be socialized, and that's the advantages of being in a a school system, whether it's a charter school or if it's a public school system. I think it's just understanding it is not all about you. You have other people around you. I can can tell you that my bio kids, they had a very difficult time being at home because they are social, because they are athletes, because they are members of teams. When everything shut down and we had to do schooling online, they did not excel mm-hmm. as they do in the classroom. They need to have that connection, that one-on-one, the the school environment, the school atmosphere. My Both of my children have taken online courses and they've been successful with them, but they're not their favorite course. They don't feel that they they really, truly learned everything that they possibly could from that interaction. So I think that when we're dealing with an epidemic, pandemic situation like COVID, we needed to provide safety. And I think that we pivoted pretty well yep. to try to provide everything that we could but it was, it, it's really not ideal to keep as a continuation for education. Mm-hmm. Again, using computers is great. Again, that interaction is key to their success. Mm-hmm. So it, I just truly believe it's got to be a combination of the two. Yep. Yep. So the aspect, I, I think that this is where we're going to see AR and VR come into the classroom. They'll have to make it more affordable because the goal is to make things experiential, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but I sit here and I go, I do not want to have to put on a giant set of goggles to understand how to experience whatever when I can do that without the goggles and it's still me. And then let's even push it even a bit further, you know, the, the movie Avatar, right? So you're taking a person and essentially putting them into a coffin to me. (laughs) So I am wanting to experience what it is like to be on Mars, but I have to go inside of a box, (laughs) whether it's the Matrix or Avatar or whatever, to be able to know what it's like to be on on Mars. I'm going, no, I don't think I want that. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I don't know what your thoughts are about how education is trying to integrate AR and VR into the classroom to make it more experiential because of being in a highly technological environment and with remote, it's not going away. It's still going to be here. So we have to learn how to adapt to all of these things. So I don't know. I mean, turning cameras on, you got vision going on. You can have, you know, listening certainly there, but you can't smell it. You can't touch a person and you can't, you know, taste it. So, you know, I'm losing three senses. Mm-hmm. Um, supplementing with AR and VR is fine. I, I think that we should utilize the technology that we have, but we should also not get too far away from that personal interaction that you have with the student mm-hmm. to better them. I mean, 
again, there's classes I'm sure out there that you have everything set up in your little Google or Canvas course and you walk right in, you sit down, you open up your laptop and you're ding, 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 call class period, you close the laptop and you walked out. Well, what exactly did that kid actually really learn? Mm-hmm. They learned how to answer a bunch of questions. Yep. And then answering a bunch of questions, how much did they actually really learn when you can Google it and get the answer and just pop it in? So again, I think that utilizing technology as a supplement is great as the the whole shebang, not so much. But yeah, my kids, my students excelled in understanding back of the house when we actually took a field trip and went to a hotel and toured the back of the house so that they were able to understand that even when they walk into a hotel, whether it's a home suites or if it's the Ritz, you know, whole front is all made for your visual enjoyment mm-hmm. for your vacation. But once you step past that door that says employees only, it is not pretty. It is a workplace and you see people bustling all over the place to make your experience wonderful. That's when they really truly see it. I can tell them about it. I can show them pictures on the screen through technology, but actually going, like you said, experiencing with all the senses, that's how they're going to learn. Yeah, it's human. We're humans. And even though they could make it so that I I could still sense it, if I'm still having to wear to me some type of a device to replicate what I could experience without the device, like why? I want to experience it. Not... Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's going to be the hardest thing to, because I've seen, I work out of a co-working space, which I shared with you, that focuses on simulation, AR, VR, holograms, all of these things are there in that space where I work. And even though I can go and try them and and see it, it's just still, it's like playing the game, player one, you know? And it's also what they have created for you to see. Yes, exactly. Like being in front of the house, like you said. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not necessarily your experience. It's, it's their experience that they're providing for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. So there is a bias that steps in there. Robots, AI, what do you think? AI, augmented reality, how is it going to impact positively or negatively? I know we've been talking about it, but if you have any other thoughts you want to put out there. Well, I think in different, different elements, there are some positives in the medical to use robotic structure, robotics to do certain procedures to make them less invasive, that might be something you know positive. I don't see myself having a little robot coming around going, "Would would you like some coffee?" and, and like yeah. so making coffee and things like that. But I think it's really to each his own. Mm-hmm. You know how much I I'm old school. I I like making my coffee. It took me a long time to figure out Keurig. did it right but you know there are some people that are driven by technology they wanted the latest thing and so I think it's just to each his own but medically speaking I think that we could possibly gain some great advancements there anything that's social where you need to communicate I don't think that it might I don't think it will be the best because you again you need that human experience yeah we all need it so yeah so there is a robot, a restaurant in Kissimmee area that does have robots. Have you been there? No, I have not been there, but I have heard about it. Yeah. And it brings you your your food. And then there are some that are in California that do that at some state parks. Mm-hmm. They are all around. We know that we have autonomous driving cars. So that's here. That's in Lake Nona. So there's a lot of these things that are around us. And Roomba, if you have a Roomba, then you have a robot. Yeah. Of course, of course. But I think, again, in those atmospheres, I mean, I like going to a restaurant and and talking to the waiter. Right. And having that interaction. I think that that helps with the whole experience of that particular restaurant. So, again, pieces and parts. If it's a restaurant that's robotically run, you know, you go for the experience of a robotically run restaurant. But I don't feel that we should get to a point where everything is driven by robotics and there's a mcdonald's here and somewhere in central florida i read about this one too 
in Central Florida that has no humans at all. You walk in, you place your order, it comes out, here's your order, you know, kind of like in a conveyor belt, here's your food. And I went, that, I like going to McDonald's and having somebody smile at me and saying, yeah, here, you know, here's your hash brown. I love McDonald's hash browns. But having the humans there, I think that they're needed because that, again, is it's creating jobs. I can imagine that it cuts a lot of expenses out of a company's, you know, bottom line. But I don't know. I don't think we should do those things. But as you said that, I mean, I know that companies want to make money. I mean, sure, businesses want to be profitable. But how profitable do do you really need to be? Mm -hmm. How profitable do you really need to be? So that ties into our ethics question, which is the next one. Just because we can do it, this is usually what I say, just because we can do it, does that mean we really should do it? Are we making sure, are we being good stewards of what this this beast is that we've created because it's all come out of our own minds as to how we see the future looking like? And that's what we do. I Science fiction movies are really good vehicles of how people envision something for all of us. And then it begins to happen and it begins to become more affordable. So, but just because we can eliminate some jobs, what about those people that are internationals that may not speak English that are driving Uber or Lyft, right? And they're doctors and they're lawyers because they can't get that license in this country. They have to go back to school. What about those with some type of physical, mental, or emotional disability, just because we can, does that mean, this is my fear, just because we begin to eliminate it, is it a little bit like the Holocaust, where we're eliminating only the purest of the people, or the ones that are being hired, getting jobs, because what I feel like can happen is that, okay, you said everything's being measured, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what is your cognitive skill ranking what are your task ranking and that's how we begin to start hiring people based on those things black mirror covers a lot of these things and i've told you you got to go watch it and i i was thinking this stuff before i even watched it and some of them are really dark and scary i'm not going to even going to lie to you but i've started watching the next season of it and they only produce five for every season because they are intense and you will feel that yeah, I can see that. That's definitely happening. And no, I would never want to see that stuff happen. So watch it maybe with your kids and have a good dialogue with your either your bio kids or your real kids, because there is one that you should go and watch since you teach marketing. And it's about having social scores. And that impacts everybody's always watching their, their ranking in social media. And they're going, oh, no, I just went down. Oh, gosh, I have to go hi and big smile and everything and always interact in such a, a non-genuine way it's not authentic it's not real to be able to you know boost it up and if you display any type of negative emotions your score goes down you don't get hired just there's so many outcomes that can happen because of something like that would be a really good one for your your marketing students to watch and then create just a response paper, I think, is going to be really something. What is it that they think? Is that happening now? Do they see that happening? What are their thoughts? So they're thinking future forward for sure. Yeah, and they they already do that with like their social media statuses. And they keep up with it, right? Of course. I'm going to send that link to you just so you know, so you can debate on that one for sure. You know, it's there. But I, I was concerned, obviously, chat, it's out of the box, so you can't stuff it back in. It's not going to go away. It's just going to keep getting there. And so when people ask me about it, I go, well, here's the thing. Before we had the internet, people would go and look things up in books, and we went to libraries. And before that, they were in different repositories of, of knowledge, right, in different ways to access them. So old school, we read books. And then we had to research a paper and that all took a lot of time. We get the internet. Now we can find things. We can find things online. So all chat is, but it's getting better all the time too. It, it takes all of that information, good and bad, 
And it says here, within seconds or minutes, here you go. Here's a PR campaign. And you don't know how accurate it is. It doesn't fact check it unless you ask for citations. And even then, it'll give you citations. You have to be very specific with how you use it to be able to produce that. The jobs that I believe will happen is, okay, well, we need to have people that make it sound like it's not chat, that it's actually a human wrote it. There should be mistakes now. We're going to see those types of things happening where it's more customized, where it's going to be fact-checked, like in journalism, so that it's accurate and real sources are there. And what it could be after that, I don't know. But I know that there's robots out there that I can talk to, and I think I'm talking to a human. They're so realistic. Because Google put that one out on TV, I don't know, four years ago, five years ago. You thought you were talking with a real person. But the problem with that is it's all based on the algorithm that's been created. So if there's any bias in that algorithm that Mm -hmm. has been created, and these kids are using these different platforms to get that PR Mm -hmm. put together for them, it's based off of other people. Yes. So you're allowing for no opinion of yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. You're not putting any of your own ideas out there. You're not developing yourself. You are. You're using somebody else's stuff. It's kind of like when people go, well, it's on the internet. It has to be true. It's not. not. (laughs) And just because chat wrote it doesn't mean that it's true. (laughs) So I did see with an intern, she had a very lengthy Instagram post. Mm -hmm. So the organization said, you know, use chat. And, and put that in there and then ask it to be reduced to 200 words or less. Hmm. And it did it. And it, it was beautiful. It sounded great. Mm-hmm. But again, the thinking that the interns should have done to bring it down to 200 words or less on their own. They lose that. Everything is a quick fix. And no. more quick fixes are not teaching you anything. Yeah, those are... Exactly. You have to be able to use that critical thinking, those problem solving skills to get to the place because what people get paid for is their vast years of knowledge of being able to work through those and being able to think, well, if we do this and this, then this and this, that whole decision tree, super important. Right. And the kids that are using this stuff now, they lose some of that. So they'll become little robots instead. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) What is the best mentoring advice that you want to share with our listeners? Never give up. Just never give up. Mm-hmm. It may not always go in the right direction, mm-hmm. but just pivot, change, and never get up, give up. You'll get there eventually. Yep. I put these in here so I remember so I can pull them. Yep. How can our listeners contact you? Typically we share like a person's LinkedIn. I know you're not on LinkedIn really, and you don't really use social channels. That is so exactly what teachers do. They they do not live for social media, whether they're in higher ed, secondary, or in, you know, primary and, you know, regular education. None of them will use that. So, well, not many, not many. So anyway, how can people get in touch with you? They can they give me a call at Dr. Phillips High School. Very nice. So we put the the school Dr. Phillips website up there. They can look there and they can find the phone number there. And then you mentioned a social channel that you only use it for school. Do you want anybody to know that one? We will not share it if you do not want. I only I don't have anything that I only use for school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can give you my school email, but no, I only have. Facebook and I only share that with very close friends and family. No problem. No problem. I think that's wise. I'm going to, you know, make sure that we protect the parameters. Well, Laura, this has been delightful. I really want to thank you for being a guest on the show so much. I learned a lot about you today. So I, I really love again, what you're doing at the school. And I'm so grateful to have educators like yourself that are guiding and molding and and helping the kids be able to think through, well, the if-then statements in life. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, 
that is it for our show, for our guests. And we hope that you will come back and listen to the next show. Thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. Thank you to our video production team, Gabe Laporte and Leona Blair. Music composer is Sophie Lloyd. Visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture while skilling your people for the future of work. Thank you for supporting The Intern Whisperer by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, or streaming from your favorite podcast channel. 